This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. And that is hammered. Oh, my. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far ought to have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? This is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it! You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby, Andy McCullough, and Mark Carrig on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 26 of The Roundtable. I am Grant Brisby here with Mark Carrig and Andy McCullough. Andy, can you say something like count to 10 so we can see how you sound? Oh, Grant, it is great to see you. How are you? Yeah, so you're normal. That's an improvement. Is that what a robot sounds like? I don't know. I kind of I kind of did that one off the dome, as the kids say. That's pretty good. It's, it's a little bit more Robotussin drinking than, <laughs> than robot. But, robot uh, tripping, yeah, let's go. I like they've given us the budget to upgrade from the transatlantic cable. So that's really nice. <laughs> Did you just say robo tripping? Is that the difference, East Coast? Because over here it's robo frying. Robo frying. Yeah, this is a soda pop thing, I think. So like the same idea, like getting messed up on robotussin. It's called robo frying. Yeah. Wow. This podcast has definitely gone exactly where I expected it to. Um, how are you guys doing, Mark? Let's start with you. Robo frying sounds good. <laughs> I, I'm just sitting here. It's terrible it. and. Yeah, well, I got to tell the, the listeners, don't do it. It will, like, stop your heart. Like, no bueno. No, no, oh, no. Oh, okay. So that so. doesn't sound very good. Otherwise, I'm fine, Grant. Thank you. Andy, how you doing? Good. I took NyQuil on Monday because I was feeling kind of sick, uh, and I fell asleep at 8.15 p.m., which is only, like, an hour before I normally fall asleep, but still, pretty strong. Do You, you lick at a lot of doorknobs, don't you? you? You seem like you're sick a lot. No. No. <laughs> what? How dare you? <laughs> I just, this podcast is always like, I'm sick, I'm doing this. I don't know, man. I had the coronavirus for a week, and I still podcasted. That's true. Glue of the show. Glue of the show. All right, for this episode, we are going to go back and look at our hot takes from before the season. Uh, However, Stephen Esbitt is not here, so we have Mark uh, filling in. Mark, you have the choice to accept Stephen's hot take or supplement it with something you thought before the season. So his hot take was that Chris Bassett was going to be the only Mets pitcher to get Cy Youngs. Do you accept or reject this hot take to defend? (laughs) I mean, I'm going to have to reject that. Although, I must say, it wasn't the worst call ever. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. Bassett leads the team in starts. Bassett leads the team in innings. He's got a 3-2-7 ERA. Like, he's got... Uh, what is this, a 119 ERA plus, so he's an above average major league pitcher. He's gotten better as the season has gone along. He had a rough start here. Not the easiest guy to catch, and so there was some transition as far as that went, but he's found his footing. But no, he's not going to be the only, <laughs> the only one getting Cy Youngs. But you know why? Because I think the closer will actually get some Cy Young votes. Closer's been really good for them. 
To be fair to, to Nesbitt, uh, that was kind of his point, that it was DeGrom wasn't going to be healthy in time. Scherzer wasn't going to make all the starts to get Cy Young vo- votes. It was less a vote of confidence in Bassett, who is a very good pitcher, but more just saying the other stuff. So I think he almost kind of sort of nailed yeah. it. But yeah, Edwin Diaz is... Uh, He's coming on strong. So, okay, so you reject that. We'll get back and figure out what your hot take you wish you would have had was. Uh, Andy, remind us what your hot take was. The Oakland A's are perfectly fine. (laughs) Uh Once again, knocked Mm. it out of the park. (laughs) Expert baseball analysis from The Athletic. Yeah, I mean, I think it was less like the A's are going to be fine in the present and more like, their future plan seemed okay and that they had to tear down, right? Because of like the ownership sort of situation and the stadium situation. And so they kind of had to take this sort of relatively mediocre 85 win team and tear it down to the studs. Yeah. Hasn't been the best year in the Bay grants. I assume you've been able to take in some games for, I assume they give you $10 to just come in and like fill up the seats. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think it's like, They've acquired a lot of talent from other organizations. Uh, It's kind of hard to say which of those guys you can really feel good about right now. You know, like you probably don't feel good about Christian Pache's like 400 OPS or, you know, like Shea Langoliers hitting 200. Um, You know, the jury's still out on the Ken Waldachucks of the world and stuff like that. But like it's a, you know, it's a long-term play. But it's certainly one of the more aesthetically displeasing seasons uh, in recent memory. Jake Mintz from Cespedes Family Barbecue uh, recently asked me uh, how many members of the Wu-Tang Clan I could name. And of the 10, I could name eight. And then he said, how many members of the Oakland A's can you name? And it was less than eight. So that is probably problematic for the A's long term. But yeah, so not the best hot take. Didn't didn't really uh, go well. Who'd you miss with Wu-Tang? Was it like you, God? Uh, no, it was Mastakilla and um, it was Mastakilla and someone. I'll look it up. I will uh, explain what the biggest problem facing the A's currently to me is. It's that when you are playing softball catch in the parking lot and your daughter wings one over your head, that ball just rolls because there is no one to stop it. There's no help. There's no one popping out of a tailgate and picking it up and tossing it back because there's no one there. So it just rolls all the way to the fence. That is the biggest problem facing the A's. Maybe they got to hire someone to help me out. Uh, I'm not sure. I've seen a couple games, and it's not great. It's not great aesthetically, like you say. So I'm going to play just a, a couple is this a real athletic or not? So you had baseball <laughs> reference open. So I'm going to say a name and you tell me if this is uh, a real Oakland A or not. Cal Davidson. Uh, no. No, it's Cal Stevenson. Uh, Connor Capel. Yes, yes. Yeah, I said that a little too confidently. Um, let's see. Uh, Mickey McDonald. <laughs> no, is Mickey Moniak on that team though? Mickey McDonald is 0 for 4. Uh, he plays the outfield. What? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Dave Leftwich. No. Uh, no. Uh, Ernie Clement. Yes. Yeah, he's uh, 0 for 4 as well. So this is... Oh, and man. I shouldn't, like, poke fun because, oh, like, you could... 
That's if tough. you do this with the Giants, there's a lot of guys like that. Like yeah. there are teams, I'm sure the Rays, the, the roster churny teams have guys like this. But I, when I look at the Oakland A's and I see that they've scored like 500 runs and they have nobody hitting for power, they've got, I mean, Patchy, oh my gosh, he is just uh, struggling at the plate. It's just not a fun baseball team to watch. And it was like five seconds ago. I remember like last year they were Oakland A's. Like they're fun to watch. I would watch them on purpose. I guess I kind of do now, but boy, it's not good. That was the uh, what I was saying with like aesthetically displeasing. Like it's a it's a it's a tough hang, right? It's uh, and it was inspected deck that I forgot, uh, which is pretty pretty shameful to be honest. Yeah. I should have gotten nine, but anyway, again, and like I come back to like what were they supposed to do, right? Like the owner, like and I mean that for the baseball operations department, not the ownership group. The ownership group should have spent more, you know, pro labor, all that stuff. I don't know. It's rough. It's rough. It doesn't look, it, it definitely like being uh, the one dummy on the internet saying like, actually, I think this is going perfectly fine. Hasn't held up well, but luckily uh, my Twitter account, I can't access it. So it's all good. Still? No, I, I, I've recently gotten access back, but I'm uh, avoiding it still. I'm trying to see how long I can. I'm going to need it for the playoffs because I actually need like Twitter during the playoffs to kind of because people see things in games and maybe I don't necessarily see and there's video clips that I want to, you know, but uh, I'm going to ride it for as long as I can. Did you change your password back to Ned Yost forever? <laughs> Please leave me alone, Mark. <laughs> I'm just asking. I was curious. Just... I've had, I've, yeah. So no, so, yes? It's been a weird couple weeks with the Royals. So. Oh, it has been. Yeah. yeah. So for the A's, what could they have done? I will say you keep Matt Chapman. You signed uh, Canna. You signed Starling Marte. You keep Manaya, You keep Bassett. You, you keep a lot of these guys. They're watchable. Is that a goal enough? Were they going to compete with the Mariners? But that adds like $100 million in payroll. But this is a pro-labor podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Then they should have done that and signed Max Scherzer. Excuse me. Yes. Well, the context here is that what the Oakland days are right now is exactly what they paid for. It's exactly what they really planned for. You know, the, the franchise has done everything they can to make it an unwatchable product. They have done everything they can to make going to the Coliseum horrific. They have done things to make the experience worse. They raised prices for the privilege of watching this dreck. It's more expensive to watch the team on the field today than it was those fun teams that you were talking about. This is, to me, just a product of obviously some bigger things with the stadium, bigger things with trying to relocate, bigger things with ownership trying to better position themselves. And, you know, this is one of those things that you do in that position to swing the hammer and get things to go your way. So it's either building the ballpark at Howard Terminal or go to Las Vegas and to get from A to B on that roadmap, sometimes you have to do what they're doing here, which is run out a team that clearly isn't majorly caliber and then, you know, charge people more money to watch it, which is really remarkable. Can we just go on record uh, as not only a pro-labor podcast, but a podcast that is just very, very against the idea of a major league baseball team in Las Vegas for aesthetics, for just, <laughs> I don't want another high elevation. I don't want any of the gambling stuff, even just whispered around baseball. Like, I just hate the idea of Las Vegas anything. 
You're right. I don't want gambling anywhere near baseball, which is why I mute all the DraftKings commercials <laughs> in between, you know, when I'm watching MLB.tv and I have to see the same DraftKings commercial over and over again about how cool four-man outfields are. Yes, that's what that's what I'm Yeah, I agree, Grant. You know what I mean. You know no, I, it's over, dude. The cat's out of the bag. Las Vegas is just a major American city. But if you have a, a clubhouse there and they live there and they work there, there's a, just a little bit more temptation. Do than the you draft know how have. easy it is to gamble? Mark, explain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, what I know about good. that, Andy? I'm just kidding. It's very easy to gamble, Grant. Very easy. The cat's out of the bag, baby. It's out. He's right. Andy's right, dude. It's over. It's yeah, over. It's over. Baseball has gotten in bed with the gambling industry because that's where the money is. Yeah, there's a lot of money in it. And actually, baseball is a pretty fun sport to gamble on, truth be told. All right. <laughs> Not that I do that here. According to people you've interviewed. According to some folks that I know that that partake in such a thing because it is against company policy as of May 1. Thanks, Jorge. It's Jorge Rangare, New York Times ethicist. Freaking... You know, it was all uh, fine until move May 1 or whatever. Mark, please move on. Anyway, but like, okay, you know, you're talking about the Vegas aspect of this. I just think it'd be a shame for the Ace to be out of Oakland. That, that's, a, that's a charter American League franchise with a deep, deep history. They've done a lot of winning in that place. And when you put a team together, that's good. You can't tell me that there aren't fans. Like, it, what has been really pathetic is just how people have lapped up this narrative that the ownership has created. They they jack up prices, tear the team to the studs, run them out there, then go, look, we don't get fans. We don't draw anything. Like, stop. Enough. Like, it's it's such crap. It's it's nonsense. I did not plan this, but I am currently wearing an Oakland Roots sweatshirt. And the Oakland Roots is a triple A sort of level soccer team. It's it's the level below MLS. And they sell out a ton. They get fans. Fans are hungry for Oakland sports. They took the dang Warriors. They took the dang Raiders. The A's could be doing what the Padres are doing, which is reveling in this regional prime because I moved to the East Bay and I am Oakland-pilled. I love going to Oakland. Oakland is great. It's a fantastic city. It's a rich city. It's a rich city in history and in financial stuff. And it's it deserves a Major League Baseball team. They got one. Please, no one yell at me. Walk me through this, right? Because I, I agree that I think it's worse for the sport if the A's leave Oakland. I think it's a historic market. It's, you know, it's a historic franchise. It it fits, right? They won 97 games in 2018. They won 97 games in 2019. They were 27th in attendance in 18. They were 24th in attendance in 19. What is the explanation behind that? It's a very good baseball team, very fun baseball team. The stadium stinks. We get it, you know, but there has to be something done there, whether it's by the city, whether it's by obviously by the ownership group, right, to fix this. But like there is a problem here. I would agree with that. But I also think during that time you had like a concerted PR effort to say this is a crappy ballpark. We got to do something about this. Like come and see us win. But uh, it's going to be a little bit rough when you get here with the sewage and the hey, hey, hey. Like that <laughs> was what was the public facing, you know, and complaining about, well, we would go to San Jose. We would go to if the Giants would just give us the, the territorial rights. And there was this real kind of 
downplaying of it. Because when I was growing up and when Mark was growing up, the Coliseum was the place to be. It was Candlestick. It was San Francisco that was the crappy baseball town. And that was because a lot of the stadium and a lot of the marketing around it, and it was just sort of an awful place to watch a baseball game. So I think that's part of it. But yeah, the stadium is just, it's a really hard sell. Let me give you a very brief history of the athletics in Oakland. So, so here's number one. They should have never been there in the first place. The stadium was built for football. It's built for the Raiders, okay? And Charlie Finley wants them out of Kansas City into Oakland to compete with the National League. Remember, the leagues were separate then. And it was like, all right, let's, let's get the Bay Area market. That's what the American League's thinking was. And here come the A's, right? Finley was awful at marketing the team. Awful at it. They won three straight World Series and made the postseason five straight years when making the postseason was incredibly difficult. And I don't think they drew a million fans once in that time. Not once. And you know why? Because a couple of those seasons, their radio station was the Cal Berkeley Student Station. Finley refused to market the club, refused to like get out in the community and, and you know, advertise and, and encourage people to come to the games. Like Just wouldn't do it. Felt like uh, it was a waste of money or whatever. Just sort of the way he was thinking. So club almost moves, right? Then you get the one time in the history of the franchise in Oakland where they did it right. And that's what Grant was alluding to. Haas family buys a club. They get really good. Like just a, a you know an amazing team, right? Like McGuire, Canseco, Ricky, gone and on Stewart. They killed in attendance. And by the way, what Grant was saying, like the Giants were trying to move out of town during that time period. The A's were running them out of here. Like they, it was not even close. All right. And so obviously that window shuts. I think what's happened in the current day is that the stadium, the dilapidated stadium and that issue has sort of overwhelmed everything else. Historically, the club has struggled to like, you know, advertise the team and market the team. And I think some of that has happened here. I think some of it is tied to the stadium. I just think it's an oversimplification to say things like, well, they've never supported the team. Isn't this not true? It ain't true. And if you look at those clubs in the early 90s, late 80s, you know, that wasn't just like a great club for that time. But like you look at like the experience of going there, right? What you got for your money, the way the owners were true stewards of the club, right? Like they cared, right? The Haas family really cared about the team, really cared about the Bay Area. That name, the Haas name in the Bay Area, as you know, Grant, like that's one of those big names that you, everyone knows who they are, right? Like there's Haas Pavilion. That name is all over buildings in San Francisco, all right? Like they cared about the area, they cared about the club and some of the territorial rights that we talk about that, may, that has another complicating factor here. You know, those were given away, by the A's, by the Haas family, because they thought it would be bad, and they were right, for the Giants to leave the Bay Area. They were also a little curious about expanding their market into San Francisco. I mean, it wasn't sure. all Alchemist. No, but Here like, we go. But you Here know we what? Go. Here I mean, we go. Like that, I don't think at that time period, people had like the sophisticated knowledge of how valuable that would be. And at the end of the day, like there was no business incentive for him to do that. Nothing's pure altruism, but it was pretty damn close. All right. So, I mean, that team was halfway out the door. I don't have to tell you. They were going to the play in the trap. I have a Tampa Bay Giants shirt. They were halfway out the door. If not for McGowan, the Safeway magnate, they're playing in the trap. A shame. Would have been a total shame. Anyway, obviously, I have a sense of the history of the athletics and it matters to me. But like a lot of things with them, nothing is as meets the eye. 
All right. Like, yes, you can look at the stands and be like, this is on the fans. It's not. It's not. And I'm not saying it's been. on the fans. I just want to be clear so no one yells at me. Please <laughs> don't yell at me. It's not on the fans. However, the fans aren't there and they weren't there when they were good. I will say that Mount Davis, the structure that they put up in center field, really did ruin the experience. Because mm. when I went as a kid, you would take public transit right to the back door of Oakland Coliseum, walk through, and it was just a delightful, uh, you could see the game when you were getting concessions because you could see through the concourse. It was so nice. The weather was better. It was just such a better experience than Candlestick when I was growing up. Then you stick that structure up. I think without that structure, you could have done the Angel Stadium, the Kauffman Stadium thing where you don't need a new ballpark. You have the BART line right there. Just renovate the hell out of it. Put some rocks in center field. I don't know, man. Uh, And then a waterfall. Uh, Do something in center field. Maybe a big old slide. There was potential there, but the Raiders screwed it up. That's my take. I'll tell you the other thing, too. And this has to do with just what, what the product on the field is. When the A's were drawing and they had all that talent, they were also like in the top three in payroll, if not number one, a couple of those years. Matters. We talked about this last week. Trying in capitalism is spending money. Nobody tried harder than those guys. They tried on the field and they tried to make the fans happy in the ballpark, right? The experience was good there. So that stuff matters. They shot this shot with Eric Chavez instead of Miguel Tejada. And that, then they're like, oh, well, we can't do that oh, again. Oh, man. Oh, man. There's a take I wish I'd... You know, I was like, oh, man, they locked up a franchise player. Whoopsie. This anyway. entire podcast has just been an elaborate ruse to convince Kareeg to finally write a book about the Oakland A's. His <laughs> true calling is just write a book proposal. Good Lord. Uh, I would read it. I would read it. That'd be fantastic. Oh, my God. Bring, bringing some of the inside jokes out. Very nice. You should. It'd be a good. I think people would read it, and you're very passionate about Perhaps it. Perhaps one day. Perhaps yeah, one day. Yeah. One day. Grant, what was your stupid hot take? Something about the Padres. (laughs) My hot take was that the Padres were going to win the National League West. Um, They are 21 games behind the Dodgers as of now. Uh, The Dodgers have clinched. Uh, They're not going to win. I think it was more, I didn't actually think that more than it was like, hey, the Padres are going to be back. The Padres are going to make more noise than than they did last year. So I'll give myself a a C- minus on that hot take. I do, as of right now, have a group of Padres fans, angry Padres fans, in my Twitter mentions because there was a screw-up in the power rankings that I wrote where half of my entry was accidentally excised. And so it looks as if I'm making fun of the Padres for trading Eric Hosmer, which was not the case. I was making fun of the, (laughs) I approve of that trade. This is a pro uh, trading Eric Hosmer to the Red Sox podcast. No, it's not. Uh, No, it's not. I was going to say, he threw the flag. Oh my God. That's right. Okay. Boy, did I step in it there. But I'm just, okay. So the, (laughs) the Padres are, they're a fine team. They're not as good as maybe I thought before the season, but they're a fine team that can't really hit. Uh, if they fix that and Juan Soto goes bananas in the postseason, I don't know. Uh, they just need to hit a lot better. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think, as I've mentioned several times on this podcast, I wrote just an absolutely idiotic column last October about how this might be the end of the line for the Dodgers. Uh, and it's just not. I mean, they're just Dodger hegemony is back. They are going to stand astride the National League West, possibly in perpetuity, uh, you know, even with the Padres having, you know, uh, Juan Soto, especially given the, uh, uh, you know, 
uncertainty with <clears throat> Fernando Tatis Jr. So it's really just like the Padres have been perfectly fine. You're right. They're like a 90 win team or so. Perfectly fine team. You know, they can get into the postseason and make some noise. They have some stars. Manny Machado has just been awesome. Like Manny Machado's on his way to being the most like the best value for a $300 million player maybe ever. Him and Mookie Betts are both off to just great starts on their deals. You know, he's been everything they've asked from them. Um, you know, he'd be an MVP, you know, or have a real good shot at the MVP if Goldschmidt and Arenado weren't going off. But it's really just, you know, the Dodgers are so much further ahead in terms of depth, in terms of their ability to churn through rosters. You know, you talk to other clubs about the Padres. They obviously have a ton of star power, but there's still some roster construction issues where they are not as sharp. And yeah, I mean, that's a 20 game difference for a reason, right? If I had to go back and tell myself something to prevent this hot take, it's that the Dodgers are literally the best baseball team of all time. <laughs> and I mean that like for over a stretch of years, not just any one single season, but the last, gosh, what, 10 years is the best 10-year stretch, at least in the regular season, that any team has ever had. They won 106 games last year. They're going to win more this year. That is absurd. When's the last time they had a winning percentage as a team under like 650? It was a uh, 2018. 18. They won 92 games. You idiots! 92 games. What a bunch of losers. You they know. They also I mean? went to the World Series that year too. Gosh, they are just so good. Didn't they just have like a horrible month in that year? Like, weren't they like no? Going they played. They played with their head up their ass all year. That okay. was like that was okay. a weird World Series hangover season. They just they played as if. The winning the division was like their birthright and like tried to give it away, like essentially almost all year. But they were just so talented that in the end, like, yeah, that was that was a weird season. I'm sitting here stunned because that is the best way I've heard the Dodgers sort of encapsulated. When you look at it from a decade wide perspective, what they've accomplished as far as just winning a bunch of ball games and how they've done it and how they've been sustainable and the decisions they've made, what they've weathered to do it. Man, it is impressive. It is really impressive. My goodness. And I don't know if there's anything comparable to that. And you're talking about stuff like, oh, we've got a 23-year-old MVP who's going to be around and doing MVP things for the next decade. Whoa, he's crappy now. Uh, we have Walker Bueller. He's a race now. Whoa, he needs Tommy John. Like, exactly. And they just keep, keep motoring. Winning. They just keep yeah. doing it. They, get, they lose Corey Seager, and it's like, how are we going to replace this bat? And what if we found a player who was better? And Freddie Freeman for for half for half it costs half as much to, be, to have Freddie Freeman. But like, what is it? The only in the free agency era, right? And I'm gonna cut it off there because you know there were times before that players didn't move, so you could keep these core like the Yankees and the fifties core. Yeah. So let's let's skip all that because it's a different world. The Braves, right? Braves had that run as we know, and then this. Like, is there, I mean, the Yankees dynasty obviously is in there, um, but like, this is what, 10 years. The Yankee dynasty, what would you call that from like 96 to three? I mean, I would, if you're including regular season success, it would go all the way to 07. Honestly, it goes until about 14 or 13, I would say, because they were, you know, they made the playoffs right. in most in of the those playoffs. seasons. Yeah. They yeah. won the division most of those seasons. I mean, that, you know, that's a, it was a so very, there, yeah lengthy run of success i don't think they had they only had really one club right the 98 yankees who were the proverbial like juggernaut type 
You know, the difference, though, is they won four times in October and the Dodgers won once. Um, so it's just a yeah, it's a you, you are in some ways you are uh, shortchanging their other good teams because they didn't have the luck in the postseason right. that true. those other teams did. You know, that's true. And, you know, I think what's most impressive about not only the result of them getting to the postseason, but if you look at most of those teams, when you're looking at the start of the year doing hot takes and who's a World Series contender. There's very few times where you wouldn't put the Yankees on that list during that run, right? Like maybe they didn't do it. Obviously, maybe you'd look back and like, what was that year that A-Rod says they played like dogs, right? I think they got bounced by the Angels or whatever. Like stuff like that happened. But when uh, yeah. you look at oh, this, you know, yeah, yeah that sounds right. Okay. But when you look at those clubs, the names on the roster and you look at everybody else, I don't think there were many times where you're like, ah, the Yankees are pretenders. No, you always thought they had a chance to win the World Series, and that's what the Dodgers are like. It's really cool. And, and yeah, the October outcomes, <clears throat> that's a different story. But as far as putting yourself in position and making good decision upon good decision upon good decision, what they're doing is just ridiculous. And hearing Grant say it like that was just like, I don't know, maybe I needed to stop and appreciate it for a second because I've, I've taken it for granted. The Dodgers are just going to be there all the time. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. When I was 30, I had gray hair, graying hair. I had uh, a receding hairline. I had uh, a kid, uh, a family. Didn't have a mortgage yet, but, uh, you know, I was a grown-ass man. So just to point out that a 30-year-old is a grown-ass man. If you are 30 years old today, you have never seen a Yankees team under 500. That is bananas. That is wild. And I think the Dodgers are heading toward that where it's just perpetual motion machine. And just you got the money. You got the smarts. It's never going to fail if you have the money and the smarts. Even if your best pitcher needs Tommy John. Even if your MVP forgets how to hit. It's just never not going to work. Think about all the teams that have like taken a run at them in their division during this time period. You know, like the D-backs... Like, signed Zach Greinke for $200 million. They snatched him away, and they were like, hey, we're going to contend. And uh, no, they did not. You know, they traded him away several years later. I mean, like, the Rockies, right, like, had this homegrown core. They had Nolan Arenado. They had Charlie Blackman. They had DJ Mayhew. They had Trevor Story. They had all these really good players. You know, they took a run at him in 2018. Couldn't do it. You know, the Padres are, like, perpetually, you know, just taking the biggest swings possible to finish in second place. The Giants actually did it. They actually, like, won the division only to lose to them in the playoffs and then sort of, I mean, I don't know, you have a whole other podcast where you talk about the Giants, I guess. Uh, but like <laughs> they they find themselves a year removed from 107 victories, maybe as far away from contending with the Dodgers as they were in 2020. You know, it's like that that 2021 season is sort of like wonderful as it was, like didn't really close the gap. The Dodgers just keep going. They lose Corey Seager and replace him with Freddie Freeman. They trade for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner and they get Turner for a year and a half. You know, like they just keep going. We will see, you know, if, how they do this postseason. I think obviously they're the favorite. You can point out to the flaws with the bullpen and the rotation and then this and then that. They're the best team. They're obviously the best team. They're, they should be the favorite. But, you know, we shall see what happens. But like I would, I pick them to win the World Series in 2020. I picked him to win it in 2021. I'm picked him to win it this year. I'm going to pick him to win it next year. I'm going to pick him to win every year because they're going to be the best team. One thing I wrote about something similar to this and someone messaged me and they said, 
Hey, check out the lineups in uh, the Oklahoma City Dodgers versus the Sacramento River Cats. The Oklahoma City Dodgers is filled with 21, 22-year-old prospects who are just waiting to get their chance. Just killers. And the Giants have like <laughs> Shelby Miller, and they've got, you know, guys who are just, you, that's what you do with AAA in the modern game. You use these for veterans and guys who maybe need that second chance. The Dodgers aren't, you. they just have too stacked of a farm system. It's like, well, we got to use our best prospects here. I don't know, man. They are. I'm tired of talking about the Dodgers because it's just, I don't remember seeing a team like them in baseball in the modern game. That's a good correction, Mark, because when you had Mantle and you just had him betrothed to the Yankees, that's different. I think their ability to not compound mistakes or at least to move forward through mistakes with a combination of money and ingenuity and all the things they're doing. I mean, what team has made a bigger, like, a more catastrophic decision in free agency than the Dodgers, you know, signing Trevor Bauer. I mean, that could not have backfired in a worse way, right? It was embarrassment for the organization and he doesn't play for them anymore, but they just keep going. They keep picking up players. You know, they've made trades that haven't worked out. They traded Josh Field. They traded Jordan Alvarez for Josh Fields. They traded away Jordan Alvarez. <laughs> Think about how many teams that would be like that would be like a black mark against, you know, their entire resume. Like, this is the guy who traded Jordan Alvarez. Doesn't matter. They just keep going. They traded O'Neill Cruz. For Tony Watson, they just keep going. You know, they keep developing guys. They keep finding new. It's just they're, like you said, they're a perpetual motion machine. You're talking about the Giants, right? And what they're going through this year. It just ought to be a reminder of how easy it is to lose in baseball. It's really easy to have an off year. Really easy. And what was the Dodgers off year in 92 wins? Make it to the World Series. It made the World Series. Yeah. Right, as what you call it, they, they play with their heads up their asses all year trying to give away the division. That's their floor. All right? Like, I mean, that's remarkable to me, right? And the Braves were that way too, right? Back in the day, like, same kind of thing. We know why. I don't know. Like, the and the Yankees thing, I think their last losing season without looking it up was 1993. Is that correct? All right? 93? So, 92. Uh, or 92. I mean, God. I mean, what was that? Stomp Merrill's team? Like, my goodness. <laughs> I want to make one last one last Dodgers point. Sorry. I just want to and again this is again talking about the money and the resources and everything. I was at Braves Phillies this weekend. Both those teams probably going to be in the playoffs. How many scouts do you think the Dodgers had in the building? Probably 3 or 4. 7. Wow. They had seven sets of eyes in the That's building. That's a lot. Because yep. they can afford it, because they value it, and because they know how to use the information they get back. They had seven. That's a lot. How many teams have a pro department with I about know. seven guys? That You're right. You know, you're right. they spend right. the money. Yeah, they have the money to pay Mookie Betts. They have the money to pay, uh, you know, Freddie Freeman. They also use it in other ways that provides an advantage. See, and I think if I'm commissioner, I'm, I'm proposing some new rules. You can either spend the money. You can either develop the prospects and get you know guys like Gavin Lux. You can either get the guys uh, off the fringes like uh, Tyler Anderson or Andrew Haney. Like you can do one of those things, maybe two, but you can't do three. That is <laughs> illegal. That is illegal in the Grant Brisby uh, commissionerdom. Didn't we talk about this last week when it came to the smaller teams? How like you know ultimately it's not a one or the other decision. Like you can actually do both. You can you can be smart and, and build yourself a pitching factory like the Guardians have, and buy a bat now and again. Well, the Dodgers take this to the you know the nth degree, and that's why hey they they deserve all the success that they have because they 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 have leveraged everything that they can. 
They've played with sharp elbows in pretty much every arena, and they're winning. And isn't that kind of what the entire premise of competitive sports is? That if someone's going to try that hard, they ought to win, right? And they've done that a lot, and they've set a standard for the entire sport. Good for them. And, and you know, people are going to be like, well, it's the Dodgers, historic franchise, blah, blah, blah. Dude, look at the previous 10 years from this run. All right, McCourt and all that. Don't you know, let's not with let's not forget. Again, it's really easy to be bad at this sport. It's very easy to be bad at baseball. Not just playing it, but running a club. And and there is no better example than the Dodgers of what happens when you get better people to run the club. You have an owner using the team as a piggy bank and just not sure what to do, not putting the right people in place. That franchise was a mess. <laughs> Hot mess. I mean, they were. What did Seeley do? Like he took financial conservatorship, something like the, that. Yeah, I don't know the actual words because I'm a <laughs> baseball writer who doesn't make money. But like they, they basically had the finances wrested from them. And I wrote a column for SB Nation. I it must have been 2011, 2012. But it was like. I feel bad about the Dodgers, man. Like, as a Giants fan, I just want I just want there to be parody and the rivalry is so important. Then hey, holy shnikes. Yeah, they got it. <laughs> got it. Nailed it. Ugh, they did it. So I don't see them ever being bad again, which is hard to do in baseball. It's so easy to be bad. That's right. Hey, how, how come that wasn't the hot take you wanted back? Uh, what? That... That, oh, oh, poor Dodgers, well, that was, poor oh. Dodgers. Oh, that wasn't before the, the season. That's oh, an all-time okay. bad That's take. That's an all-timer. Uh, yeah. Were you drawn yeah, for it, that one as well, or was that a solo think, column? I think my, uh, well, I mean, the odds are pretty good. Drunk, <laughs> but uh, the probably the, one of my single bad takes that I would take back of all time would be uh, Nelson Cruz uh, signing with the Mariners. No, no, no good, because he's going to be bad really soon. And then he had a Hall of Fame career in his 30s and 40s after he was supposed to be bad already. So I think the only person who liked that contract was Nelson Cruz and maybe Jack Z. So like you're, <laughs> I think you're in the, I mean, that was like one of those, like everyone was like, that's the worst freaking deal I've ever seen. And then the guy was great. You could point to age, you could point to his defensive position, high strikeout rate, like every red flag was just waving. It was a mayday parade in Russia, you know, like. Yeah, I think unfortunately this was finally the year. Nelson Cruz, maybe uh, it's time. But uh, what a yeah. But he's he was for you know yeah an entire decade was was great when everyone just sort of assumed he'd fall off. Well, now we have like five minutes left. Uh, let's go over your worst hot take of all time. Like that's uh, you both of you guys. Like, do you have one that sticks out? I mean, I literally said last year I thought the Dodgers were were like done, not done, but they were going to take a step back, and they're better. So I just. Just, I thought they weren't going to spend. thought there was a chance Kershaw would leave. Yeah, just bad takes. Bad takes across the board. All right, Mark, come on. You got to have, a, you gotta have oh, one in the chain. Yeah, the, on SNY every now and again, they still play a documentary. It's called Five <laughs> Days in Flushing. And this is about that trade deadline where Wilmer Flores cries. And at the end of it, you know, Cespedes ends up ends up on the club. And of course, they win the pennant. They got all those young arms, and they spent every round of the playoffs saying things like, we're going to be back, we're just getting started, and then they come across the fight in McCullough's in the World Series, and that's that. So in the offseason, they do the doc, and I said something that they ended up using as the closing quote of the thing. 
And actually, <laughs> the last time, like or two times ago, the Athletic did a happy hour in New York City at a sports bar, and they had SNY on because the Mets game was finished. And they, what are, what's up on the screen? This doc. Oh my and so God. I'm getting pictures from the staff, like, oh crap, I thought you weren't going to be here, bro. Ha 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 ha. Right? Like, just my you know, 20 foot head behind the bar. And what am I saying? I'm saying, you know, when you look back at the season and the Mets have gone to the World Series or one penance again and again and again, you're going to think about how it all started here, blah, 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 blah. And what happened? You know, Connor Gillespie in 2016 and then crickets <laughs> until this year. So that's an all-time bad take. Is anyone from the 15 team besides DeGrom still on the roster? Yeah, Seth. I think Seth Lugo was on that team. Wow. Uh, one of their relievers, wow. I think. He McNeil might have been left off the postseason. No, no, no. No McNeil. There's somebody else. Shoot, We had talked about – I was at City Field like a week and a half ago, and we had actually talked about this. I, I, Is Matt Harvey still on the, on the team? I haven't followed him in a while. No. Wow. <laughs> Lugo didn't <laughs> debut until 16. <laughs> wow. Oh, he didn't? Okay. Yeah, Lugo see. didn't debut until 16. Dang, so. is it just Jake? Yeah, I'm looking at it. I'm not seeing My goodness. It. You know, a lot is of it? those guys are still playing, obviously. Like, Darno is a, you know, has become a star in yeah. uh, a different city. Uh, Syndergaard's still around. Uh, Conforto came the closest uh, <coughs> just by virtue of being a free agent in this offseason. But yeah, the, man, that team, Juan Lagares, Curtis Granderson, that's, that's 100 years ago. Boy, I mean, that team like wasn't it. that good, and they lost their best player. So, like, yeah, like, it, you know, like they, Daniel well, Murphy left. And... I mean, DeGrom, Harvey, Syndergaard, that was, at that time, 2015, that was as good as you could find in base. That was so fun to watch. I just remember there being the big thing between the Mets and the Cubs, because the Cubs had built on bats, and the Mets had built on arms. And it was like, which one of these franchises, at the end of the day, is going to win the most pennants, right? Well... That was a fun conversation for a it while. It turns out the move was to build on Clayton Kershaw and Mookie Betts. That's what it turns That's out. That's what everyone yeah, should have done. That's what they should have spent a crap ton of money and made a bunch of great decisions. Yeah, just just <laughs> trade trade Alex Verdugo and a couple other guys for Mookie Betts and then sign him for 10 years. That's a, That's the move. See, this is going back to the idea of, oh, the Dodgers are a legacy franchise. Of course, they have it easy. They got the Look at the Red Sox. They had Mookie Betts. They had him. He was on the red. They gave him away on purpose for Alex Vertuco. <laughs> and you would have the Red Sox fans at the time, the ones that were trying to talk themselves into it. It's like, well, Vertuco's under contract for a little while, and uh, this allows them to plan, and now they can lock up Bogarts and Endeavors. And like, no, they just keep Mookie Betts. You're the freaking Red Sox. Just keep Mookie Betts. He's Mookie Betts. That's not a good trade for the Red Sox in retrospect. Wasn't a good trade for him in the moment either. Like, I mean, like, it was just like, I remember, you know, back in the, this is how long ago it was. I wrote a column off of it, basically saying that just from a fundamental perspective, right? If we're, if these teams are supposed to be competing, and if you're the Boston's, LA's, New York's, like, you've got no excuse not to compete, Chicago, dude, you, you can't be doing stuff like that. The system is set up where, like, other places, you're sort of stuck. And you can understand that. But, like, you don't have that excuse in Boston. Right in the Northeast, like you do not have that excuse. And so for them to do that and ask their fans to buy a trade that was just so beyond the pale, I felt like it was just, you know, it, it crossed the line to me. And yeah, it looked bad then. And it looks even worse now. You know, have to know it, when you're the Red Sox, you have to know the difference between is this player like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of someone. Is this player Kevin Millar? Is this player Trot Nixon, right? 
Or is this player Mookie Betts? Like, what kind of player do you have? Is it the kind of player that maybe one day can go to the Hall of Fame? Maybe win an MVP? Maybe win three MVPs? And if the answer is yes, you keep him if you're the Red Sox. I will never get over that trade. I don't care how many aging bell curves you show at me in graphs and, you know, money and... Uh, for, no, you're the Red Sox. Keep Mookie Betts. I have at various times been seduced into the sort of argument of, uh, okay, well, so-and-so is 85% of, you know, this guy, but he's also cheaper and you have him for longer, right? Like, it's the Freddie Freeman, Matt Olson thing. Like, Freddie, Freddie Freeman, uh, Matt Olson, you can say, is, you know, 80 to 85% of Freddie Freeman. He costs less, blah, blah, blah. You know who would make the Braves a lot better, right? now <laughs> it's freddie freeman like they would they'd be far and away the world series favorite if they had freddie freeman but like that's fine you know they made their decision they still got a good player it's okay you know like i've i guess the counter you know to like if you're gonna trade mookie bats you gotta drill it you know you gotta do some version of what it seems like the guardians did with lindor right like the guardians seems like they got fair value back they gave up a franchise player who's still pretty good who uh, I guess they felt like they wouldn't have been able to sign, and they got back Jimenez, they got back Rosario, they got out from under Carrasco's money, which you know they've used to um, have more money, uh, and so like you know that at least looks like something of a victory. It's a lot tougher when you know Verdugo's like a one-win player instead of a three-win player. You know Jeter Downs isn't doing much. Like then you got to nail it, and uh, Spears they didn't. Well, we talked about this with Soto. When a guy is that good nailing it as Andy says and he's right you've got to nail it and boy it just gets that much more difficult because it you know like there's a lot of ways to analyze the sport but like Mookie Betts in the simplest way what's he do poorly nothing <laughs> this guy does everything well he does everything well like it's he's such a pleasure to watch play because this freaking guy not only does all the things that make highlights really well but like when does he ever like you know botch a base running play When's he ever in the wrong place? When's you know, like this this dude does everything well. So yeah, like it, it <laughs> knowing and he can that bowl. You're it. Dude, he's like, like a perfect games, right? Like he's that good, <laughs> isn't he? Like a three hundred guy. Like I mean, that's ridiculous. And you would want to sit next to him like on a cross country flight. He's a delightful human being. Like you know, he bowls three hundred. He seems like a nice gentleman and uh, everything well. I'm very easy to sit next to on a cross-country flight. I put my headphones on, hoodie up. I don't talk to anyone. So I, you know. Yeah, but you're big. You'd spill over into me. You know, I sat next to CeCe Sabathia on a flight a couple years ago. This was like right before the pandemic. It was like literally actually coming home from spring training on like March 8th of 2020. And I sat next to CeCe Sabathia. I covered him for a year when I was a Yankees beat writer. There's zero chance he remembers who I am. And there was even less chance that I was going to be like, hey, uh, Cece, it's, uh, you probably don't remember. I don't know. There's something that like other people <laughs> in my position would probably do and like be like, oh, yeah. So I was chatting with Cece Sabathia. I'm like, no, man, let's, let's just let this man like, you know, quietly enjoy this flight and leave him alone. And then I can just talk about it on a podcast two years later, like a normal person, <laughs> like a normal person. I would. It, it seems like you have a similar uh, uh, idea to mine about flying where it's just, it, I like flying where it's just like, as far as it's isolation for me, like I don't have kids asking me for goldfish. I don't have, <laughs> uh, you know, a yard to, to sweep or something. I just, I get like my book or my Nintendo Switch. I have earphones in, I'm listening to tunes. Like it's like a happy isolation chamber for me. Can I share a, a flight back from spring training story next to a player? 
was the first spring training I covered. It was the Baltimore Orioles, and their catcher was Ramon Hernandez, who caught for the A's. And that was like the perfect balance right there. Because So he's sitting to my left, and he's got another writer in the same row somehow. So Jeff Zrebeck, who works for us now, he's a Ravens writer, but covered the Orioles at the time, really good at it. And so it was perfect. Ramon talked for 10 minutes, about eight of those sharing old stories about playing on the A's, because I prompted him to go that direction. And then we all just like passed out. Woke up in Baltimore. It's perfect. That's, That's exactly great. the way to do it right there. Like, I mean, I, we, we, we exchanged pleasantries, told a couple stories, wheels up, out like a light. Next thing I remember was getting my bag. Perfect. That is what we strive to for our listeners who might be listening to this before uh, flying. That uh, <laughs> we just knock you out and then you land and you're at your destination. That is a service, free service we provide. So You're welcome. All right. This has been episode 26 of The Roundtable. We will be back next week, and we will yammer about dumb baseball stuff. See you then.